Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together and clap to the Lord for his goodness to us, his grace, his mercy, and his blessings. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel, chapter number 7. And uh, we're going to read, beginning in verse number 23, reading today from the King James Version, uh, translation of the Bible. Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 23. This is uh, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet Daniel, who God has given a vision of the end of times, uh, the last days. And uh, in this passage, we read some curious things, uh, but when we use Scripture to uh, interpret Scripture, as Brother Costa teaches in Life Studies, we understand what the meaning is. Verse number 23, it says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and a times, and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And what we're looking at here is we're looking at a prophecy about the end of times and this horn emerging from the ten-horned kingdom or the coalition of ten kingdoms that will be the final world empire that many people believe is what's happening now in the European common market, the European Union, that same area where the original Babylon was, that there will be one horn that will come out with a loud voice, speak against God, and to attempt to wear out the saints of the Most High. As we study Thessalonians, as we study Revelation, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we understand that this is speaking of the Antichrist, this person who will arise and be possessed with the spirit of Antichrist and, uh, in essence, fulfill all the prophecies of the end time, setting himself up as God right in the temple. But uh, the spirit of Antichrist here, I want you to notice, manifests through the Antichrist as an agenda. And uh, it says here that uh, he speaks great words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And uh, while we are not in the kingdom of the Antichrist today, we know that the spirit of Antichrist, the forerunner of Antichrist, which is motivated by Satan himself, has an agenda, and uh, his agenda includes wearing out the saints of the Most High through persecution, irritation, uh, harassment. And uh, this persecution the Bible talks about and prophesies. And I know that, um, you know, there are a lot of things we could teach and preach about today, but I have to be sensitive to the prompting of God. And uh, 
though I'd much rather, nine times out of ten, preach a message exalting Jesus. Every once in a while, I think it's important for us to recognize that we're engaged in spiritual warfare and uh, that this is a little bit of a spiritual chess match. And if we're ignorant of the enemy's devices, then we can get discouraged, we can quit, and we can give up. But the persecution of the enemy, which is designed to separate us from the Word of God, from the promises of God, cannot be successful if we learn how to undermine his persecution. And so today I want to talk for just a few moments about this subject, undermined persecution. Undermined persecution. Let's ask God to speak to us for a few moments. Lord Jesus, we're here to hear from you. We want your word to speak to us, provide direction, give us hope, uh, give us insight, give us revelation. And also, Lord Jesus, that we would be empowered by your spirit and by the knowledge that comes from your word to be victorious, to be overcomers. Hallelujah. Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you for your presence that we feel here today. Thank you for your anointing that's moving and destroying yokes, even in this service, even right now. And in Jesus' name we pray, let your will be done in this house as we prepare what you have for us in the future. And if you agree with that, just shout out, Amen. One more time before you're seated, I encourage you to shake at least one person's hand and give them a smile before we get into the word of the Lord today. Amen. This Wednesday night, we'll continue to study book of, the book of Acts, chapter number 9. We'll be studying the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Here, here's the deal, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes I wonder what in the world's going on in my life. I look at perhaps a series of events, particularly irritating sequences, perhaps health, nagging health issues or... Uh, financial challenges or career obstacles that just kind of seem to be irritating one after another. And I, I try to figure out what in the world's going on. Do I have anybody that relates here? Why am I going through and facing what I'm facing? I mean, possibly is it an attack of Satan or am I just having a bad day? Is it just coincidence or have I messed up and I'm reaping what I've sown? Or is God mad at me and allowing this into my life? So the question that uh, many of us have to face is why do certain things happen? And particularly uh, seemingly things that happen one after another. And, and today, I, I'm sorry that I can't give you the answer, like a blanket answer for everything that you're facing. What's the reason behind it? What, what's the purpose? Uh, why is it happening uh, but there are some things that we do know from the Word of God. And first of all, one of the things that we do know and we can celebrate today is that God is ultimately in control. So while there is spiritual wickedness, while the enemy does have latitude to harass at times, God is in control. And from that, the second thing we know is that any attacks from Satan require God's permission and has limits on it. So Satan cannot do more than God would allow him to do. So today, when we know that God's ultimately in control and we know that Satan's ability to levy attacks against us requires permission and is limited, then we understand that there's certain things that the enemy can't do to us. 
And the third thing that we know from the Word of God is that Satan has an agenda behind any attack. Anytime that he's seeking to sift, like we saw, he, he, he desired Peter that he may sift him as wheat. The purpose is to harass you until you disconnect from God's word and you disconnect from God's promises. And I want to show you that in the word of God today. The purpose of spiritual attack is to disconnect you from the word of God and from the promises of God. Now, this passage we read in Daniel chapter 7, it's thick, it's rich, it's deep, it's perhaps a little confusing, confusing. Uh, but in this end-time prophecy, God has shown Daniel a picture of the end of the age. And when you interpret this, linking it together with Revelation, it's amazing how many uh, consistent themes that you see between the two. Now, I'm going to be honest. I love to study, read, dig into the Word of God. But I find end-time prophecy a little bit intimidating and confusing. And I think part of the reason is uh, it's designed so that we can't see clearly exactly what's going to happen. Anything that is prophetic is seen through a glass darkly. You can see shadows, you can see images, you can see things moving, but you can't clearly tell what's behind it. This is the way we see into the future through prophetic writings in Scripture. But there are some things that are very clear and one of the things that's very clear throughout any writings about eschatology, which is last times, is that there will be at the end an antichrist. And that preceding the revelation of this man, this actual human being, who is going to be the embodiment of the agenda of Satan, leading up to it, there will be at work in the world a spirit of Antichrist. Now, the, the, this Antichrist is referred to oftentimes as the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. And then this picture in Daniel, uh, in Daniel that we read in Daniel chapter seven of a ten-toed kingdom, or, or ten horns on this beast. This beast that comes up out of the water with ten horns represent ten kingdoms. It's the same. Uh, it's another iteration of the same vision that Daniel has of this great metal image with ten toes and uh, the, the, the head representing Babylon, the uh, uh, shoulders representing the, the media Persian empire, the, the, the belly and thighs representing the Grecian empire, the legs representing the Roman empire. So fascinating. I know this is kind of like way up there, uh, but it's fascinating that uh, God was showing to... Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, all the, the world empires that were going to come in succession after him in that same region. And, of course, history reveals that it was very true. And then the last is the ten-toed kingdom, mixed iron and clay that represents a confederation of ten nations, which will be the final world empire because the stone hewn out of the mountain is going to strike the image in its feet, and the whole image is going to fall and turn to dust and be blown away. Way, showing that no matter how powerful, strong, influential a kingdom made of man is, it can not stand against the stone uh, that the builders rejected, the rock hewn out of the mountain, which is Jesus Christ. So with all of that being said, this ten-toed kingdom represents the end of times and the great horn that emerges from these ten and speaks big things is who will be later referred to in the New Testament as the Antichrist, who emerges 
from this final world empire and sets himself up as God. But when you look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about the man of sin, but then it talks about the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness, a spirit that's already at work all the way back in the time of the apostle Paul. And what is the purpose of the spirit? To set the foundation, to lay uh, sort of a landing strip, if you would, philosophical and emotionally for the uh, antichrist to be revealed. And so this spirit of antichrist is what is manifest the agenda of Satan in the world today. And uh, I want you to know that in this passage of Scripture, it shows us the strategy that's going to happen in the end of times with the Antichrist. But for your purposes today, I want us to understand that this reveals the strategy of the spirit of Antichrist as well. And the spirit of Antichrist strategy is, it says, to speak things against God to try to change the times and the seasons, but more importantly, it says to wear out the saints. So the strategy of the enemy is to try to wear out the church. And when you look at other translations where it says wear out, it could be translated to oppress, to wear down. Another translation says to harass. Another translation says to break down. And uh, so when the enemy, when Satan, spiritual wickedness in high places, his objective and agenda is to wear down, to break down, to harass, to wear out the church. He can't wipe it out. He can't destroy it. He can't kill it. But he likes to oppress and he has obviously given latitude to do certain things to wear out the church of the living God. Now, I, one thing I want you to understand is um, in Scripture, the Bible speaks of persecution, persecution against the church. Persecution may show up in a human form, but it has satanic origin because the enemy is the one that desires to persecute the church. Now, I know today... We live in the United States of America where our religious liberties are protected and we're not persecuted by uh, receiving death threats or having the police come in and shut down our services or uh, um, experiencing imprisonment for our faith. So we don't experience that kind of persecution and for that I am thankful. But don't think for a minute uh, that the laws and constitution of the United States is going to hinder the enemy from trying to persecute the church. He's just going to have to find a different way. And he is a chess master. He is a strategist in trying to figure out ways to wear down, to wear out, uh, and to harass the church. Now, here's one thing I want you to notice about persecution. A couple verses of Scripture. One is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. It says, but he that receiveth the seed into stony places. This is Jesus sharing the parable of the sower, where the seed is being sown. Now, remember what the seed is? What is the seed? The Word of God. The Word of God. And the ground is the hearts of men and women. It says, he that receiveth the seed into stony places, remember there was different types of ground. There was the wayside. Uh, there was the thorny ground. There was the stony ground. And there was the good ground. And the Bible says here, that which uh, falls into stony places, the same is he that heareth the Word... And anon with joy receiveth it. 
These are people that hear the word. It begins to have effect in their life. They receive the word. It impacts them. But notice what the next verse says. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. But for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, he is offended. Now, here's what I want to draw your attention to. What is the purpose of the persecution? Why is the persecution arising? It says right here, because of the word. They're persecuted. Those that have received the seed are persecuted because of the word. Now, if you want to just bear down on this, let's look at what Mark has to say in the same story. Mark, uh, Mark's uh, uh, reading of this in Mark 4.16. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have received the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They get started. They get moving forward. There's going to be fruit. There's a, something springing up. But then the next verse says, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So what is the purpose of persecution. Persecution is about the word. Now, when you look at the word persecution, what does it actually mean? The, 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 the word, the Greek word that's translated here, persecution, and I, I don't want to get too deep. Guys, stay with me. The Greek word translated persecution means to flee or to pursue, to chase after, to flee or to pursue. So what the scripture is saying here is that when people receive the word, the enemy's agenda is to separate you from the word, to get you to run away from the word, and so that he can pursue you away from the word. Get this point right now. Persecution is always as a result of you receiving word. Because when the word gets into you, when the Bible gets into you, when preaching gets into your spirit, it can bring fruit. It can bring about salvation. So the strategy of the enemy is very clear. When the word is planted, he's got to try to disconnect you from the word. And when persecution comes, its purpose is to disconnect you from the word. Amen? It arises because of the word. Because the devil doesn't like the word of God. Oh my goodness, the devil does not like the word of God getting in your spirit. He's not, that, that's why you ever, uh, probably one of the most frustrating, stressful, taxing days out of the week for many of you is Wednesday, right? When you get off work and you have to get the kids together and you want to go to church to go to Bible study but traffic seems to be worse, the boss makes you stay over, all these uh, coincidences Hey, listen to me right now. The enemy will do anything he can to keep you from being connected with the word because the word is what produces revival. The word is what produces transformation. The word is what empowers you. The word is what gives you knowledge that you can oppose the enemy and you can speak against his attacks. And when you are in the word, you have power. 
power over the enemy. So his objective is to persecute you, to cause you to flee away from the word. So understand that right now, that persecution has one objective. It's coming because you got some word, because there's word that's coming to you. And, and, and the enemy wants to, dis, to, to distinguish or separate you from the word to cause you to flee, to run away, and so that he can pursue you to disconnect you from the word. It's about running. Pursuing, getting us to run because of the word. Satan fears and he hates the word of God. Why? There's power in there. There's power in the word of God for salvation. Amen? Hallelujah. There's power in the word to transform your life. When Jesus was tempted of Satan, notice how he responded. Each time Satan came against Jesus during his 40 days in the wilderness and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, to throw himself off of the mountain and to raise himself up or to stand there and have all the kingdoms of the earth delivered to him from the God of this world, Satan himself. And each time Jesus was faced with temptation, he responded by quoting scripture because he knew, amen, that this is the only way to respond to a spiritual attack. That's why when the enemy starts attacking, you better get your Bible out and dust it off. When you start seeing circumstances come in your life that give you evidence that you may be under attack, you ought to be the first one in the prayer room. You ought to be the first one at Bible study. You ought to be the first one at church because you realize I can't fight this on my own and it sure ain't going to work to run away. I've got to get into the word. And so the enemy's nature is, I think, uh, made evident in the name in the New Testament that Jesus refers to the prince of the devils as Beelzebub. Anybody heard that word before? Beelzebub. It is a, uh, oftentimes interchangeable with Lucifer or Satan. Uh, but Beelzebub was an ancient false god of Ekron. And uh, Beelzebub actually means the lord of the flies. The lord of the flies. He is the prince of the demons. The lord of the flies. And so I want you to get this right now. The understanding about spiritual wickedness, spiritual warfare, and you, you may think I'm off in left field somewhere, but I'm talking about what's happening right now. The, the enemy's uh, uh, coming to irritate, to frustrate, to become a pest or pesky in your life through circumstances, amen? And so uh, the, the nature of a fly is they are irritating. They, they can't, they, they, they don't bite you necessarily, uh, but they are an irritant. And uh, you're always doing this, right? You're always doing this when a fly is around. You're always like, oh my, that pesky fly, that thing is just... And Beelzebub is the lord of the flies, which tells us that the nature, among many things, of, uh, uh, of evil spirits or demons are to be irritants to us, to annoy us, to frustrate us to get us worn down or broken down or wore out. They don't have power to bring real harm, but they do have power to irritate, to frustrate, and uh, to, to, to make a person begin to wear down. Now this week, I don't want to bring too much of my biography into this, but, uh, but this week I had experience on Wednesday and uh, I, uh, 
received a letter in the mail, uh, and sometimes letters in the mail are good, sometimes letters in the mail are bad. This was one of those that was the latter, because it came from the California Franchise Tax Board. And it was a letter that indicated it was going to cost me money that I wasn't expecting, that was punitive, um, and uh, so I called. It was somewhat an arbitrary charge. They have the legal right to do it, but they don't have to do it. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you charging me this amount of money? And communicated lovingly for 45 minutes trying to get them to see these charges are fair. This one's not fair. I believe in fairness. Don't you believe in fairness? I was asking them. They don't believe in fairness. They believe in getting what they can, right? And so I was frustrated, frustrated, frustrated with that. And uh, so I left the house. This is on Wednesday. We have church that night. I leave the house right after hanging up the phone to go get some gas. And then I was going to grab a little bite of lunch. And uh, I did a U-turn. And as soon as I did the U-turn, the police officer pulled up behind me in the gas station. I thought he wanted to get some gas. I'm like, and I looked, his lights were on. And uh, he said, you're, you're not supposed to do a U-turn there. I, I looked at the uh, intersection, and on this side, it has the very obvious no U-turn sign, right, with a mark through it. On this side, very obvious no U-turn. Up and down the street, any place, it's the obvious no U-turn. The one where I took a U-turn, there's not that sign there. All there is is a small print thing that says no U-turn. I drew his attention to that. I sat and watched later as person after person turned U-turns there because the signage wasn't there. I tried to explain there's an issue with the signage. And uh, I'm going to make a long story somewhat shorter and just let you know I had a bad day on Wednesday. And you may say, well, that's not that big of a deal. You don't know what I'm going through or what I'm facing. I understand. I understand. It's consequential circumstantial, but all of a sudden my wife and I were like, you know what, this is not normal. You ever been there before? This is, this is not typical. This is not normal. There's something going on here. And then I begin to talk to some other people. Similar things happening, connected with our church. Just out of the blue, stuff they weren't expecting. Irritating, discouraging, wearing down. And uh, something hit me. You know what? The enemy's trying to wear down the church because we're at a significant moment. And that listen to me, at significant moments, the enemy's tactics become a little more obvious. Usually he's subtle enough to where you don't even know there's any satanic work or anything behind what's happening. And, uh, but when, when you're in times like these, the enemy becomes less transparent and you start to recognize something is at work here. And, uh, but here's the good news is in those spiritually significant times, God's activity becomes more obvious as well. You, you can start to see that he is fighting for you and he is working on your behalf. And so today what I wanted to share with you because uh, th that day I 
was getting frustrated. I was losing control of my emotions. I was uh, saying things to my wife, and thank God for my wife. She told me I need to go to the room and repent. And Because uh, <laughs> Sunday at Vision 239 service, I said, uh, you got to be determined, uh, and, and, and sacrifice is not sacrifice till it hurts. Uh, and when I got that bill in the mail, I was uh, uh, threatening for it to come out of my mouth. I was like, uh, can I be honest? I'm going to be too transparent. It's going to hurt your feelings. I'm like, can I take back that testimony I made about God's blessing a few weeks ago? Because this is like a reversal of the blessing that I just got. And my wife said, watch your mouth. Woo, hallelujah. And I realized, you know what? Uh, this is only me responding to this in the way the devil wants me to respond to it. Uh, and his persecution is working. But if I will wake up and recognize what's taking place, then I can undermine his persecution and it will not work against me. Rather, amen, it will inspire me to get more focused, more fight in my spirit, and more determined to do what God's called me to do. To lead this congregation where God's led us to go. And to see the fulfillment of God's purpose. See, we, we've got to understand the spiritual kingdom. The enemy attacks to distract, to irritate, to oppress. He's trying to wear down the saints, to harass them, to break them down. But I want to tell you how to respond when the devil tries to wear you out. When the enemy tries to irritate the fire out of you, when the flies are swarming around spiritually in your finances, in your marriage, uh, in your relationships, uh, uh, in your health, uh, when it's, when it's uh, uh, threatening, you know, you know you're not going down, but you're getting frustrated. The way that you respond to it is, first of all, when, when, when in these significant times, uh, you need to recognize the prophecies and the promises of God. See, God's given promises and prophecies to this church that are huge. And guess what? I believe them. I believe that God's going to restore some things that have been stolen over the years. Satan knows and understands this, and he is playing chess. We would be foolish to be playing checkers while the enemy's playing chess. You're like, what does that mean? What I'm saying is Satan is strategic. He's trying to wear you down. He's trying to discourage you, harass you, or break you down. But where we are is a spiritually significant region. This is the area in which the apostolic message, the Jesus name message, the Pentecostal message was rebirthed after uh, in the first part of the 20th century. We're living in a spiritually significant region in spiritually significant times with epic promises and epic prophecies. You better believe that Satan would love to wear out the saints. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You better, you got to get this. You got to understand this. That when you're in spiritually significant times, amen, in a spiritually significant region with promise and prophecies on your life, then you can expect harassment. You can expect the flies to be swarming. But thank God, thank God, thank God, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And thank God, thank God, that Satan can attack beyond what God is able to give me strength to bear the temptation. Amen. But if you forget you're in spiritual warfare, you're going to miss the whole thing. If you think you're just living your life, trying to get your career together, get your family raised, get your kids through school, huh? 
Why don't you miss the whole thing? You missed it. Sorry, I'm a little passionate. I'm going to break things up here probably. But, but, but uh, I, my uh, timer's on there, so you don't want to take it too far. Hallelujah. You better believe that he would love to wear out the saints. And uh, th- this is just about being aware. M- my wife and I, when we were first married, um, we both have strong personalities and maybe willful. And uh, I've got to be careful here because... Maybe we're a little stubborn, and we see things our way, especially when we were younger. And uh, early on in our marriage, we quarreled a lot. Uh, And uh, it seemed like we made an issue out of everything that really wasn't an issue. Almost kind of at fun, just to spar who could win. Who's going to win this fight? And then it became more and more contentious. And and I see some, some knowing smiles in the crowd, so it may not just be us. Until we were kind of at each other's throat a lot. And uh, I'll never forget, and I've shared this story with some of you, that one night we were in a parking lot of a Walmart or something. And we were going to do something, and then there was conflict. And, and I started getting sassy with my mouth and slashing. And we were slashing back and forth like a sword fight. And all of a sudden I looked over and my wife was crying. And uh, she said, we can't do this. This is not wise. This is foolish. We're doing exactly what the devil wants us to do. Because his goal is to destroy this marriage. The enemy came to kill, steal, and to destroy. And it was like for both of us, the light came on at that moment. Anytime there's contention in our marriage, we know what's behind it now. We know it's a spiritual attack. And if we'll team up against what's trying to destroy our marriage uh, instead of playing into the enemy's tactics, uh, then we can live in victory in our marriage. And I want to tell you that from that moment, there was a magnificent, fascinating, dramatic transformation. Not that we've never had ups and downs and hills and valleys since then, but it was like a turning point for us. uh, Because every time the word started to come out, it was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a devil thing. This is a satanic attack against my marriage, and I'm not going to fall into this trap anymore. And I want to encourage you today to understand that what the enemy wants, he harasses because he's trying to produce behaviors not just trying to frustrate you. He's trying to produce a particular behavior in you that fits his agenda. You guys with me? I I learned this in studying raising children. I I read a book recently, and it said, you want to raise good kids? Never let your kids do things that make you hate them. That's, That's pretty obvious, right? Never let your kids do things that you dislike in them. You know why? Well, it's very simple. When children are young, they learn to manipulate mom and dad with behaviors. You've seen it before, haven't you? The little kid that's throwing a fit on the floor, embarrassing mom, until, in essence, mom does what the little kid wants. You know what happens? When you, hey, my duck's quacking. I'm getting close to the end. Visitors have no idea what I just said. My timer has the sound of a duck when I come to the end. My allocated time. So, parents 
kids. Reality is, is what you've done is you've reinforced that behavior. And if it works, they're going to do it again. If sulking gets them what they want, you're going to create a sulky person down the road. If being cranky and whiny gets them what they want, then you're going to have a cranky, whiny, full-grown human being in the future. Because whatever behavior gets the desired response, you are unconsciously encouraging that behavior. You guys with me? I know some good parents that are shaking their head, right? The reality is the same is true with the enemy. If he gets the desired response out of persecution, then you have invited continued persecution in your life. Just like if your kid's misbehavior gets what they want, then you have invited the frustration and the agony of continued misbehavior in their lives. But when it does not produce the desired result, then there's going to have to be a completely different strategy. When it doesn't move you, when it doesn't impact you, when your behavior is not what he wanted, it's the exact opposite of what he wanted, then you have undermined the purpose of the persecution in the first place. Not that the enemy will never persecute you again, but when you learn to undermine the persecution, look what happened when Jesus kept responding with Scripture. Finally, the Bible says the devil left him for a season. He said, I can't mess with this guy. Whatever I'm trying is not working on him. He's undermining my persecution and my temptation. And I want to tell you today that it's the will of God in this season for you and I to learn how to undermine the persecution of Beelzebub. And when the flies start swarming, when irritating circumstances start showing up in our health, uh, that we don't allow the enemy. Come on, somebody. To produce the behaviors that he wants out of us. So here it is. Finally, wrapping it up. Four quick points. We're not going to play into the devil's tactics. We're not going to reward his bad behavior, his persecution with his with desired response. Number one, if you're wearing down, let's say you're wearing down. And, and the, the, the swarming, the irritation, almost like the waterboarding, it's just got you to, ah, your wits in emotionally starting to disconnect you from the word. So here's the response. You know what the enemy's goal is? Get you disconnected from the word, from believing the promises, from hearing and receiving the promises of God. So here's your response. Four quick responses. These are four fantastic fly swatters. Number one is pray without ceasing. Ooh, hallelujah. Because when you pray, praise God, you give God room to work. When you work, you work. But when you pray, God works. When you release God to do his thing, great transformation can happen in your situation. And so here's the deal. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17. Because prayer, what prayer is, is it gives permission for God to have his way in your life. A prayerless life is a powerless life. A prayerless life that is like a rag doll that the enemy can slap around like a lion slapping around a toy. But when there is a life of prayer, what you are saying is you're saying, our God which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
done in earth as it is in heaven. Why did Jesus tell us to pray that way? Because you give God room to work in your life when you invite him daily and grant him permission. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. Because when you quit praying, then the persecution can work against you. But we've been reading and studying the book of Acts that when you're prayed up and when you're plugged in, the persecution leads to revival. It leads to evangelism. It leads to great joy in the city. And so somewhere along the way, you've got to get this in your gut. I'm going to pray without ceasing. So when you get discouraged, rather than complaining, start praying. When you feel like you're wearing out, start praying. Spend some time in prayer. You say, oh, that's so simplistic. That's the word of God, and it works. Pray without ceasing. Fly swatter number two is this. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Proverbs 18.20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love to talk will eat the fruit thereof. So you're going to eat whatever you speak. And so you've got to specifically watch your mouth when you're in times of persecution, spiritual persecution, things that are happening in your life that don't make sense, a series of health scenarios, a series of financial setbacks, a, a series of relational challenges just coming out of the blue. And, and somebody's like, well, you need to see something wrong. Why are you doing something wrong? No, maybe it's just a spiritual attack. Maybe there's just something that the enemy is coming against you. Thank God he can't kill you. Thank God he can't destroy you. But he will try to irritate you. But if you will pray and you will use your mouth not to describe your situation, remember, but to change your situation, if you watch your mouth, you can swap the flies. Flyswatter number three is lean into the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, all these things that, are, that could be irritants in your life. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the most awesome flyswatter of all. Because the desired response of the enemy to persecution is to get you focused on something else. To get your mind off the kingdom of God. To get your mind off the work of God. To get your mind off the calling of God. To get your mind off the mission of Jesus Christ. And to get you disconnected from the promise and prophecies and impact of the word. And to get you focused on something completely different. And so guess what? You have a choice when persecution comes. And I watch it, man. I'm getting a little older now. I've been pastoring for almost 16 years. You can see it now. That when persecution comes, some people start leaning away from the kingdom. And other people lean into the kingdom. This is a revelation right now. It's very simple. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, a lot of people, well, I'm discouraged. I'm not feeling good. I'm going through a tough time. I can't make it to church. Uh, I, I, I'm not reading my Bible, like I used to, my Bible like I used to anymore. I, I'm not hanging out with the, with the other believers like, what, what are you doing? You are leaning away from the kingdom of God. This is the exact behavior that the persecution was designed to produce. 
But I wonder what happens when the enemy tries to discourage you and you have a revelation now. And instead of leaning away from the kingdom, you lean into the kingdom of God. And, and when challenges come and when difficulties come, when the flies start swarming, it's like, watch out, devil. Oh, you're going to do that, huh? Watch me get 30 minutes to church early to go sit in the prayer room for a while before. No, I'm not going to sit out of church today. I'm actually going to get there early today. And, and, and guess what? I'm not going to call in and call off and not serve. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be ready to serve. I'm going to have a smile. Guess what? Because your persecution is not going to obtain the desired response. I'm undermining your persecution. And somewhere now, somebody needs to get this in your spirit that whenever the enemy attacks, rather than letting his attack produce the behavior that he wants I'm going to do the opposite behavior so that he realizes that's not going to work next time <laughs> because the enemy's goal is not to get you closer to God but when his persecution instead of driving you away you start to lean into the kingdom then guess what he's probably not going to do it next time around this is a revelation this is an understanding that you lean in why does the Bible say forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know why? Because as the day is approaching, the enemy's attacks become more aggressive. And so you need to be together. I need you guys. We need each other. You need to be among the body of believers. Something happens when you get here. You're provoked to good works. You provoke one another. We encourage one another. We're strengthened by being in the body of Christ. So I guarantee you that everything the enemy's trying to do is to get you disconnected from what God is doing amongst the body of Christ. So you got to learn to lean in. Come on. you got to learn to lean in. Flyswatter number four is this. Very simple. Go on the offensive. Go on the offensive. You know, it's like when you finally reach that point, the house. I know we live in SoCal. We don't see it that much. But where the flies are just driving you nuts. You're like trying to read the paper, trying to watch something, trying to play with the kids. And there's like swarming all around you. And you're finally, that's it. Where's the fly swatter? And you go in and you look all over the house. 20 minutes later, you come out swinging a piece of cloth or something because you can't find the fly swatter. Can I get a witness? So you're going around the house, knocking lamps off, and your wife's like, "Why didn't you tell me?" You know what I'm saying? Go on the offensive. Well, how do you go on the offensive? Very simple. Jesus said, "Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them." Teaching them, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I was looking at this today, and, and you know what hit me? It says, when you go, you know that, lo, he is with you always. But until you go, you don't know. But when you are going, when you are involved in moving the kingdom forward, I, I remember one time somebody was real sick, and they're laying on their bed real sick, and the preacher come in and says, renounce the devil. And, and he said, well, I'm not in any kind of condition to stir anybody up. And, 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 and some of you may feel that way spiritually, that you, you're just trying to survive. Well, guess what? 
Go on the offensive. Right in the middle of the spiritual attack, invite somebody to church. Right in the middle of a spiritual attack, say, I'm going to teach somebody a Bible study. I'm telling you, it's just, it's very simple. But when the enemy's uh, uh, persecution doesn't work anymore, when you learn how to undermine his persecution, you can cut short the persecution and make it come at you from at least a different angle because the enemy knows it's not going to work anymore. Praise God. I wonder if there's somebody here that understands that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against us. And even though we may go through dry seasons, even though we may go through challenges, that there is a season of refreshing and winds of refreshing. And if you're wore out, if you're wore down, if you're frustrated, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to get up. I want to encourage you to put your back straight and face on what the enemy's coming at you with and say, oh, you're going to try to do that now. Watch this. I'm coming at you. I'm coming at you, bro. I'm coming after you because this is not going to work. Somebody stand to your feet right now. Oh, come on. Somebody clap right now if you feel what I feel. I know this praise team is like, what in the world kind of song are we going to sing with this? This is what I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel in the Holy Ghost that the enemy's efforts have given, the curtain's been pulled back. He was too obvious. So, not just my situation, your situations as well. It's too obvious. This is the enemy's effort to undermine the ministry and calling on my life. This is the enemy's effort to destroy the potential or to disconnect me from what's going to cause me to thrive spiritually, the word of God. And so here today, I'm determining in my spirit, I'm determining in my spirit first of all, I'm not ignorant. I know what's going on. Say that right now, just in your spirit if you want to. It may sound silly saying, I'm not ignorant. I know what's going on. Come on, I know what's happening. I know what the source of this irritation is. So instead of getting mad at the person or the circumstance, I recognize this is a spiritual attack. And if I want to fight back, I can't fight the person. I can't fight the circumstance. But I can fight the enemy by going on the offensive against the kingdom. Because guess what? Every time somebody responds to God's presence, feels the call of God, asks the Lord to forgive them, makes a decision to identify with Jesus Christ and have their sins washed away in waters of baptism. It's filled with the Holy Ghost, whether they're small, whether they're 75 years old, whether they're influential, or whether nobody knows about them. You have taken something from the enemy. You believe this spiritual warfare thing? Something from the enemy that frustrates the fire out of you. When you host a study at your house, when you get trained to do a study, when you invite someone out to the house of the Lord, when the door opens for you to talk to somebody about Jesus at work, at school, at the store, you have an opportunity to witness, build a connection with somebody for the kingdom's sake. You're going on the offensive against the enemy. And you're saying, in essence, this did not work. 
You have not shut my mouth. You've not silenced me. You've not backed me into the corner. All you've done is caused me to realize who to fight now, and I'm coming at you. I'm, I wish somebody would get that in your spirit right now. I'm coming at you. Because I can endure it. I can get through it. I can make it. If I pray without ceasing, if I watch my mouth, right? If I lean into the kingdom, if I go on the offensive, there's nothing that the enemy can do because it's not going to work. And I don't know about you, but I think our church is moving into a season where the enemy is going to have to leave us alone and that the influence is going to spread throughout the region. That's what happened with Jesus after he faced down that temptation with the word of God is eventually the enemy left him for a season. And it says Jesus' fame spread abroad. God's purpose is for Life Church's influence to spread and for Jesus' influence in the region to spread around. But somewhere along the way, we've got to push back. We've got to use the Word of God to, to uh, come against the enemy. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to pray right now in Jesus' name, and we're going to pray for one another. This room is crowded. There's not space for us to move all over, all over around the room. But I want you to pray. We're going to pray for one another in this place because the Spirit of the Lord is here to encourage Spirit of the Lord is here to give revelation. And I know this is a little different. I just had to do what I felt today. But there's revelation that's come. And, and I'm going to ask. I just say what I, say what I think. I, I have a visual of uh, spiritually like this thing right here. Like it blows out the fog. It blows out that, uh, what do we call it here, that... Uh, uh, smog uh, what do they call it down by the ocean uh, marine layer there we go blow it out so that all of a sudden hey I see what's going on here there, there's clarity now and instead of getting discouraged or sitting down and watching 37 straight episodes on Netflix with a, with a big bag of popcorn and hope that fixes it hey guess what that ain't gonna fix it and and uh, Posting your mind on Facebook is not going to fix it. I tell you what will fix it. Praise God. As you begin to pray. <laughs> pray and get a hold of God. And so, and so this is what... Devil, you messed up because we, got, we, we know the score now. And so it's time. And, and we're making arrangements so we can open up some places around here to pray during the week. Because it's time for us to get down to business in praying. To move this thing forward. To move the kingdom of God forward. To see God's purpose fulfilled in your life. So right now we're going to pray for one another. And we're going to pray, God, blow out all the smog, the fog, the marine layer. Whatever it is that's settled into our spirit. Uh, this uh, mask that the enemy used to confuse us about his agenda and his objective. Lord, I pray that there would be clarity in our spirit and that there would be a turnaround so that we would respond to the attack not the way the enemy wants us to but the way the word tells us to. Amen. Right now, I want you, if you're near somebody and it's appropriate, I want you to reach over, take them by the hand, lay your hand on their shoulder right now because as our praise team leads us into a time of worship uh, uh, right now before we leave, we're going to pray together in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. I pray for this young man, Lord Jesus, that God, you would give revelation to his spirit, that everything the enemies tried to do to wear him out, that right now he would recognize it for what it is, and that he would respond, not the way the enemy wants him to respond, but the way you